Oh, it's unbearable, isn't it? The suffering of strangers. The agony of friends. There is a secret song in the center of the world, Joey. And it sounds like razors on flesh. If you have a quality, be proud of it. Let it define you, whatever it is. I have centuries to discover things that make you whimper. Shall we begin? Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? There's something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no man. I'm getting a hundred cups of coffee, starting now. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Coffee machine? One cup of coffee, please. What an excellent day for an exorcism. My name is Jerry, and I'm a tabletop gamer who loves horror movies. And unfortunately, I dislike anything that tastes like coffee. And I'm John. I love horror movies. And, well, I love coffee. Welcome to Coffee Flavored Horror, where we talk about horror media, exploring the good, the bad, the horrifying, and the horrifyingly cheesy. So speaking of horrifying cheese, what's tonight's movie, John? We're talking about Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, from 1992. This is the third Hellraiser movie. It's got some stuff. <laughs> we'll say that way. I mean, it does have some stuff, yes. Uh, maybe the stuff might have been better to watch? Who knows? I don't know if the stuff movie is better than Hellraiser <laughs> 3. It's different than Hellraiser 3. Dude, Killer Fluffinover is great. I mean, um, This movie was directed by Anthony Hickox. Uh, he did Waxwork and Warlock and Warlock 2. And a really fun movie we should probably go into, which is Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat. Have you ever seen that one? No, I have not seen Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat. I've seen Warlock 1 and 2, though. And I've seen Waxworks as well. So have I. And Waxworks 2. Sundown is about a ghost town that is actually a place where a bunch of vampires have retired. And one of the local vampires has found a way to make artificial blood for them so that vampires can go there and hide from the world and kind of um, go through basically the, the, the vampire equivalent of rehab. And then problems come up. Van Helsing's granddaughter shows up and things go a little bit sideways. Okay. I mean, that is a plot to a movie, I must say. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to watch it. I do too. This movie's going to star, first of all, of course, it's a Hellraiser movie and it's from the era when Clive Barker was still involved. So um, we've got Doug Bradley showing up as Pinhead. Doug Bradley is, of course, Pinhead from the first seven Hellraiser movies. He was also in the Howard Lovecraft animated films and also uh, in from the Books of Blood. We have Terry Farrell as Joey, and she was Jadzia Dax in Deep Space Nine. She was in Becker. She was in Deep Core. Um, this is one of her earlier films. I am almost convinced if you are in Star Trek of any kind, you have to be in a horror movie at some point. It kind of goes both ways. It's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is our second Star Trek Deep Space Nine reference for Hellraiser? I think so. Because uh, Andrew Robinson, who plays the father in the first Hellraiser, is of course the best Star Trek character ever before the new series, which is Garrick. The humble tailor and definitely not a spy. Dude, I don't know who Garrick is. <laughs> have, you ever seen Deep, have you ever seen Deep Space Nine? Like, maybe two episodes. Oh, Garrick, you would love Garrick's character. Garrick is a uh, I, I seen one episode they got sucked into like a weird board game and they had to like play their way through. Oh, that that's I think that that might actually be Next Generation or Voyager. That might not even be Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine no, is no, what it was takes Deep Space Nine. Okay. Well, Deep Space 
Garrick it was, is, it was in the PlayStation. So Garrick is one of the Cardassians, the invaders who was left behind. And he's a tailor. Okay. And it is never officially discovered, but it's obvious he is a spy. <laughs> or he was <laughs> he was a spy and an assassin. Okay. And he was left behind as punishment by the Cardassians. He wants to go back. He becomes a reluctant ally of the group. He becomes the they couldn't make him the gay lover of the doctor on that show, but they really wanted to. And it is so obvious that those two have a thing going on. And he's always telling stories. There's a there's a an episode where he does this thing where the doctor asks him questions about his origin. He tells these different stories and each one's different. He, the doctor asks him, so, so which of those stories is the truth? He's like, they're all true. Even the lies, especially the lies. But Garrick <laughs> is an amazing character. Garrick is just... Okay. And it's Andrew Robinson just being amazing. So yeah, so it's another Hellraiser <laughs> throwback. We also get Kevin Bernhardt as J.P. Monroe. Um, he was in the movie Medieval from 2022. He was in Five Aces. And we get Paula Marshall as Terry. And Paula Marshall was in Malignant and Californication. And I know oh. who killed me. Mm-hmm. Some kind of mid-level actors here, but they, they do a decent job with what they're given. The movie went on and did it make any money? Uh, it made a little bit of money. We have had a box of $12 million and a budget of three. That's four times its budget? Yeah, that is true. It, it, it fits the math. Right. So they're going to make a sequel. We're talking $12 million. We're talking a $9 million profit 30 years ago, 31 years ago. Okay. That is true. We're talking $1992. And so that makes a big difference. It was commercially successful. And it's why they kept making Hellraiser movies after this. There's only one more decent one. I kind of like four, actually. That's what I said. There's only one more after this that's decent. I mean, uh, I mean, any Hellraiser, you know, Friday 13th. Mm Nightmare on Elm Street, they make their money. That's why people just keep making sequels, right? Yep. It's not, it's not always a good thing. <laughs> let's, uh, let's look at this. Hold on. There we go. So to put that in perspective, that'd be, $3 million, that'd be $6 million today, making $25 million in the box office, or a profit of $19 million. Even if you double the budget for that, that would still be looking at a profit of about $12 million. So that movie made money, and it made good money for them. So... Yes, it did. Which is good, because we, we, we've had a couple of movies on here that did not make their budget back. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did not. Uh, and yeah, actually, you know, if you ever want to watch The Decline of a Movie about sequels, check out the Hellraiser series. You can tell when they start declining real good. So let's talk briefly about the plot of this movie, because it's, it's definitely a sequel to two. If you remember in Hellraiser 2, at the end of Hellraiser 2, we get the personalities of Pinhead split into two parts. You've got Elliot and Pinhead. And Elliot briefly takes over Pinhead and rescues Ashley Lawrence's character in the, in the last movie. So in this movie, he's been split and he's been separated and dumped into the pillar. So we start with a club owner, J.P. Monroe, who is all about, he runs this, this club that's basically a steampunk club with live bands and everything. And he lives above it and he uses his influence to get girls upstairs where he basically debauches them and then kicks them out. He's basically just a bastard. He buys the pillar that has all of the various Cenobite accoutrements on it while kind of messing around with, with it. And one of the girls, Pinhead basically comes out and kills the girl. The girl, Terry, that he brings in gets killed. Meanwhile, you've got Joey, played by Terry Farrell, who is a reporter trying to get better stories. And she uncovers a videotape from Christy or uh, from Kirsty from the first two movies and sees kind of the evidence of the pinhead box and starts researching it and ends up at the dead end. She ends up 
bumping into a girl who ends up helping her. And this girl has been with JP Monroe and has stolen the box. First, they start getting along. And then because Pinhead is partially out of the pillar, but hasn't been completely released yet, he um, uses some of his abilities to fake some phone calls and turn Joey and Terry against each other. So Terry, the girl who's got the box, brings the box back to the club where she sets Pinhead free. And Pinhead convinces her to join him. And Pinhead gets loose, basically tears up the club. Joey comes along, finds out about Elliot, and there's a final showdown between uh, Joey and Pinhead with Elliot's help. I think this version of Pinhead is he's more uh, ruthless in this one. Like, uh, he's more, I don't know, demonic, too, I think. Yeah, we're going to talk about what makes Pinhead very cool in this movie. It's kind of fun. And at the very end of the movie, she gets the box back. Pinhead's been banished. She takes the box. They're building a building next door. So she tosses the, bit, the, the box into the deep concrete of the foundation. And when they come back a year later, the entire building's entire architecture is just lament configurations over and over again. You've got a giant lament configuration building. <laughs> that is Hellraiser 3. It's, it's got some things going on. Uh, Tony Randall, he directed Hellraiser 2. He worked with Clive Barker on Hellraiser 1, and he co-wrote this script alongside Peter Atkins. Peter Atkins plays the bartender who becomes the barbecue Cenobite, and Clive Barker actually came in at the end of the movie to do some <laughs> post-production Cenobite. shots. So this movie had a bunch of people involved in it, and part of its disjointed nature comes from the fact that we have several people involved, and Clive Barker was actually brought in to kind of do some last-minute patch-up work on it. It is what it is in that case. Yeah, that is true. So we're going to talk next about probably the most controversial part of this movie, which is, uh, first of all, uh, Pinhead in every movie always has a couple of Cenobites that work with him. They're, they're always called his gash. Right. So his gash in the first one is Butterball, Chatterer, and the Priestess. In the second one, it's Butterball, Chatterer, and the Priestess, plus the Engineer. In this one, we get a new ja- gash. We get the Dreamer, played by Terry. Which one? She's the one who's, who's got the, the smoker. Okay. She's, yep. she's the one who just wants to dream. Right. Uh, we've got Piston Head, who is what happens to J.P. Monroe. And then we've got Camera Head. Dude, now they're all starting to sound like bad DC villains. Yep. We've got Barbie, <laughs> who is the bartender who can breathe fire. And we've got CD, who is the DJ who shoots spinning CDs around. I didn't know that was his name. His, the names are actually Barbie and CD. Dreamer, Piston Head, Camera Head, Barbie, and CD. They couldn't come up with anything better. <laughs> yeah. This is by far the weakest gash in any of the movies. No, I, nothing else is coming to mind like a worse Cenobite than this entire lineup. The Cenobites look a lot like the Borg from Star Trek. Oh, my God. They they're do, they're very they? mechanical looking. Especially camera head. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're missing something. The design of the gash is not great. And it doesn't really make sense like why camera head would be like, okay, Barbie is in league with the, 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 the bartenders in league with JP to seduce women. That makes sense. Uh, CD's a DJ. He's a professional DJ. Um, right. I don't think I have to explain any more about why he would end up being a Cenobite. Um, but Camerahead makes no sense at all. Like yeah. why her? No, he was actually like why, why her the, cameraman? Decent, pe- uh, you know, a decent person, and yeah, he just kind of went there because um, he got a a phone call. Yep, a fake phone call. And like, yeah, the dreamer uh, Terry also makes sense because Pinhead actually seduces her over to the dark side. Yes. I mean, maybe, maybe he's just used camera head and you don't, you know, you just don't see it. I think they just had some ideas on what they wanted to make these things look like and didn't put the effort into the backstory on any of them. Don't even the names are bad though. Like I'm waiting for them to like, and here's Flyboy and Merman 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Hammerhead and, and Barbie. Like that's the worst name of them all. He's like, he doesn't even look like a Barbie. Like I can picture it was, it was a girl, you know, with like long blonde hair, and they called her Barbie or something like that. It's Barbie for barbecue. It, it doesn't matter. It's still a horrible <laughs> name. <laughs> I won't. I won't sing any part of Barbie Girl. I stop there. We don't have the license for that. We can't afford. We we cannot afford that license. So we'll blame we'll, Barbie. <laughs> all right. I thought that the pillar itself. It was nice to see that big pillar come back. I think yes. it's a good story hook. It's a good linking motif. And you get to see a lot more detail on it. You do. Oh, they yeah. did some good special effects with it. The only, the only thing I found weird about the pillars when uh when JP went to see it, yeah, and there's like a like a hole in it after the guy took the lament uh, configuration from it. Yep. And he puts his head in there, and there's a rat. Yep. <laughs> and just like bites his head. He's like, ah, that was weird. He, he, you can see he's holding on to the rat though. Yeah. So he's holding on to the rat as hey, he's like, ah, he's swinging back and forth, and blood's you know flying on the on the pillar, and then it kind of gets all slurred back up. But I was always like, was the rat in there in the beginning? Did it just go in there? Is that where he lives? The rat's weird. It would have been perfectly fine for him to just like reach inside and get, get like skewered by something or whatever. Yeah. The rat is kind of odd. I like the fact that they gave Pinhead a little bit more motivation in this besides just coming. We end up with, you know, a little bit more about Elliot and where he came from. And that Pinhead basically realizes that because of what happened in the last movie, he got separated. He wants to do something now, and what he does is he's able to invade dreams, because that's how Elliot communicated with people, was in dreams. If he can invade dreams, he can now, quote, exploit the flesh of the world. And uh, his dreams are where he meets Joey, Terry Farrell's character, and uh, impersonates her father to get the box back, because her father went off to war and died, so she, has, she, she doesn't have his, his father, her father anymore. And it just does a good job of giving some extra motivations and adding more to the story than just pinheads just running around killing people, which he does when he comes out. It feels like when he went, like, I can't even say, like, the real world, because he always comes into the real world, but it's like he doesn't have rules anymore in this movie. He can just go around killing people, because none of those people at the, at the, um, the club opened the box or even touched the box. Yeah, there, there is a problem with his reality warping abilities in this movie that luckily they don't repeat in other things. Pinhead just kind of does whatever the director wants to have happen on screen. Yes. <laughs> it goes from really cool. Pinhead slaughters a bar full of people, including heavy metal band Armored Saint. He just destroys them. But he also does silly things like he makes the ice in a girl's glass look like his face and then impales her with an ice spike. I thought that was pretty cool, actually. You know, I, I like that death. He makes the CDs around the DJ dance in the air before slicing the guy up. That was ridiculous. Did you see his face? He's like, whoa, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the CDs is kind of like, yeah, all in him. He ends up outside. The cops show up and he's blowing up. Car there's like, there's exploding cars and fire for no reason. Yeah. And sewer manhole covers blowing off. It's very strange. I, as I said, I don't think that they knew what they wanted to do with it. I guess maybe that's why it says hell on earth. I think that's where they, why they had to bring in Clyde Barker things. I don't think, I think they didn't know what to do with the end of this movie. But it is fun to watch him just slaughter. A, I mean, he, he just goes to town an entire club full of people. Clive Barker just comes in. He's like, uh, I don't know. You guys fucked up this movie up enough. Um, throw, the, throw the box in concrete. <laughs> There's the silly scene outside where the water's in the ground. Electricity's like sneaking along it. Like, oh, no, electricity. Yeah, that was weird. Like, he could troll him. It's, it was a lot of weird things. It's, it's a weird situation. 
there's like heads blowing up and cops getting killed. And I think you made the comment. You asked about how big is the club itself? Yes. Do you see the, like kind of like the like, weird layout they were trying to do with the club? Like half of it is like some heavy metal bar going on. And then it like transfers over to like smooth jazz playing and fan, you know, fancy dining and everything. And I was like, what are you trying to do here? <laughs> I could go from smooth jazz to heavy metal just by walking through a door. I, I've been in bars like that. Really? There used to be a bar in Dallas that had four bars in the bar. You walked in the room and the first room was set up as a dance club and you went to one corner and it was all, there was like a country line dancing section in the back. Upstairs was a piano bar with dueling pianos. This is obviously a bar in an industrial zone and it was obviously yeah. an old factory. So I've been, I've actually been in bar. I'm, first of all, I'm not an experienced bar hopper by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> if I'm, if I'm going to bother going in a bar, it's going to be something exotic like this. So this, I've been in bars like this. This actually made some sense to me. Like I could see the whole premise of, you know, that it's, that's like why his apartment's at the back end of it and everything. But yeah, it's, it's huge and it's got, you know, several band stages and everything. And this was the nineties where lots of horror movies and other action movies had to have, you know, live bands in them at some point or another. Probably my favorite one is the offspring in idle hands. Oh yeah, that's right. Where the lead singer gets killed by the hand. The one death in uh, the beginning of the movie when they bring that one guy into the hospital. Yes. And he has all those uh, hooks and chains hanging off him. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, what's her name? Terry. Terry. She's like, yeah, don't, don't hurt him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean don't hurt him? This man has hooks and chains. Anything else is probably a relief of what they're doing. <laughs> that is how Terry gets the box and how Joey gets the tape is that she's at the hospital interviewing somebody else. And all of a sudden they bring in this man with chains coming off of his body and they wheel him past. They wheel him into the emergency room. He drops the box. So Terry picks it up and, and palms it. When they get him in the emergency room, all of a sudden, he's lifted off the floor by the chains hanging in midair, and then... Uh, uh, the, the, no, the chains go up, and they all get electrocuted then. Yeah. Through all the hospital lights. Yeah, doesn't he get and, torn to shreds? And then he blows up. Oh, he blows up. Ah. Yeah, he blows, blows up, up, and then you see the stupid heartbeat monitor go, ooh. I'm like, oh, he's dead now? <laughs> no <laughs> shit. <laughs> he's, I just watched this guy explode. I don't need the heartbeat monitor <laughs> to show me a flat line to know this guy's dead. They did a good job also playing up on a couple of things that I thought were horrific in this movie. One of them is uh, Pinhead's motivations and the way he seduces people. You know, he just killed and devoured, uh, what's his name, uh, JP. JP's been, been hooked, but he's still, he's not close enough to the, to the pillar for Pinhead to get him. So he's lying on the ground bleeding. Yes. And Pinhead basically appeals to Terry, who keeps talking about the fact that she doesn't dream. She only has nightmares. She doesn't dream. And all she wants to do is get away from it all. And he appeals to her. And so she pushes with her foot. She pushes. Yeah, she pushes JP right into the, the pillar. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. And then he gets killed because he saw what the pillar does. Oh, yeah. And then Pinhead shows up and talks to her and tells her that, you know, she's, she's special. She's important. And that the things that she sees that are bad about her um, are things that she can embrace because it is what she is. And then if she comes to him, he'll let her dream forever. And that's why she approaches him. Right. That's good. That, that, that gives us some reason and motivation. I, I, I liked that, that scene. Yeah. Oh, that scene is great. Another really horrific scene is when um, uh, Sadie, is it? Sandy. Yes. Yeah, so JP sacrifices her to the pillar and, you know, all these hooks come up and they lift her in the air. She, you know, she's naked. And then next, you know, these more hooks shoot, shoot up and they tear her skin off. So now she's just yep. completely skinned alive and then kind of like pulled inside the pillar. 
it's not good. No, that's pretty horrific. That was pretty good, though. That, one, that I think, is possibly the best death in the movie. Yes. For me. That, that one definitely is. But I think one of the most absolutely horrific things, it's probably like nightmare fuel, is Terry's cooking. I don't remember her cooking. She uh, spent the night at Joey's, right? And in the morning, she's like, oh, I'm trying to cook. And she's like reading this cookbook, but like literally the toaster's on fire. And she has like everything's burning and like boiling around her. It's 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 nightmare of like how much like a big of a mess she made in this kitchen. And she's like, oh, I made breakfast. Like, yeah, I'll just stick with cigarettes and coffee. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. I liked and, and I've talked about this before in other movies. I like the way that they played with the TV was always being on and you begin to realize that once Pinhead gets a grip on the, even just gets a finger into the real world, he can play with broadcasts. And so Terry, who is a TV promoter is constantly seeing things being broadcast that aren't actually real. And that's how he lures her down to the club. And even when she unplugs it, it's, it's still playing. And I like that a lot. What's his name? Doc? Is it Doc? Yeah. The cameraman Doc. Yeah, yeah, she's like, I think she, he calls her, he's like, oh, you need to go down to the club right away. And, you know, she goes down there. Yep, and it's, it's not good. It's not good. No. She sees these horrible Cenobites <laughs> that just aren't good. <laughs> and then we get Clive Barker's influence in the movie, which is the bondage worm. <laughs> when Pinhead is trying to torment poor Joey, and there's a worm that comes out and wraps around her, there's leather straps and so on that get her that get her all tied up it's it's a weird scene it's 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 definitely clive barker it's not a bad scene it's just it's all it's like okay this should have come a little earlier in the movie and we should have seen more of this but we've also seen this whole thing where um jp is obviously a little bit of a bondage freak yeah it's just it, it was an interesting scene the worm just seems a little bit out of place but it also fits in with the director, because the director also did Waxworks. And if you remember Waxworks, there's a whole Marquis de Sade scene where the main character, I can't remember what the, what the actress's name is that was in that, but her character basically has her first orgasm by being whipped naked by Marquis de Sade while chained up, which is, I'm like, okay, that, I mean, that, hey. that, that fits his, you know, hey, listen, we're not going to kink shame here, definitely. But uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just interesting that they had that. I mean, it, it does kind of fit, though, for, for that club, too. It does, it does. Uh, there is one more Waxworks tie into this movie what's that zach galligan who was of course the main character in gremlins and was also the hero in waxworks is one of the club patrons who gets killed in the club scene he's the guy who gets stabbed in the stomach with the pool cue is that his name zach, zach galligan? galligan yeah yep yeah billy he's, from billy from gizmo billy from billy billy from from yes uh huh. billy from uh, gremlins yep I, uh, I never knew his name yep zach galligan he's been a couple other things no he's been a few other things yeah it didn't quite take off for him but uh it wasn't bad so uh, and then we get Pinhead going into a church. <laughs> Which, I mean, hey. <laughs> and apparently there was a lot of controversy about the scenes with him in the church where he's basically mocking the, mocking the cross. And um, I think it's hilarious. I think it's a great scene. I, no, that whole scene when he goes to the church and everything, it, that fits, you know, Pinhead's character, I think. It's not, you know, it's not out of place. Not at all. Doug Bradley also does a really good job of portraying Pinhead in this thing. This is Pinhead being much more violent pinhead being much more gleeful i mean the look on his face when he's got terry all bound up in the bondage gear um mm-hmm. his the entire scene where he's at the church and he does the big he does the big christ on the cross stretch and tips his head sideways and yes. lights all the candles on fire it's gleeful it's interesting 
I like when uh, Joey first goes to church, you know, the, the priest is like, oh, how are you okay? He's like, no, you have to protect me. You know, he's like, oh, evil can't enter here or something like that, right? Yeah. And, and that's then, when Pinhead blows through the doors. He's like, you tell him that. <laughs> yep. She's got the box in her hand and she's pointing right yeah. at it. It's, it's a great shot, actually, from the movie. And for me, the last big thing that I liked in this movie, I liked the lament building at the end. Oh, the lament building is amazing. The implications of a building where everything is lament configuration, which I think ties into four, right? That building becomes the, the trap for Pinhead and four. No, they, that is supposed to break, open up the, the gateway to the Leviathan world. I know, I know it's something there, so. The, the, so. Some weird thing like the box made the building type thing or influenced. So with all of that, with Pinhead running around in the, the kind of real world and weird special effects and happy laughing Pinhead. How high was the body count in this movie? Well, we have six plus, I mean, dozens inside the club. Yeah. That's like dozens at, only in like maybe the heavy metal part. And who knows what happened to the other section of the club? Because uh, I'm guessing everyone died. When Joey gets there and walks in the club, there are bodies hanging on chains from the, from the ceiling and draped over everything. Right. There are dozens of bodies in there. Pinhead just slaughtered people, which would be fun to figure out how they write that one off. All right, John, how much coffee would you skip to watch this movie again? I mean, if it's on, I'll watch this movie again. I like the Hellraiser series. The only thing, like I said, the only thing that bothers me about this movie is just the Cenobites. Yeah. If you watch it for the story and just kind of, I guess, forgive the horrible Cenobites with the, now I know the horrible Cenobite names, uh, <laughs> it's a decent movie. Yeah. I, so, so are we talking, would you give up two cups, three cups, five cups? What would you... I'll give about five cups. We'll put, we'll put it right in the middle. Yeah, five cups. All right. I would, I would probably drink two cups of coffee-flavored something to, to watch this movie again. I probably own this on DVD somewhere because I used to collect all the Hellraiser stuff. Oh, cool. It does a good job of going in. And, of course, this is a lead into what is one of your favorite ones, which is Hellraiser 4, I know. Yes. I, oh, I love 4. So that is our review of Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth from 1992. We'd like to thank a couple of Facebook groups that let us promote their shows on their Facebook pages. The first is Candyland Night Terrors. And we also have Horror Hoodlums. They often have uh, different pages uh, during the week where they have topics like to discuss. Like there's uh, Werewolf Wednesday or Witchy Wednesday. There's Thirsty Thursday. Basically, whatever you can alliterate and toss in that week and whoever gets on. Sometimes they do all of them at once. People talk about their favorite werewolves, their favorite uh, monsters and creatures from horror bad and so Cenobite on. Bad Cenobite Sundays. Bad Cenobites. We can do Bad Cenobite Sundays. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so who is your favorite Cenobite? Ah. Uh, not, not counting Pinhead. We got to write Pinhead off this. So besides Pinhead. I always liked either, you know what? I like Chatterer. I like Chatterer from one and two and the, Cinnab the Chatterer Beast from four. I kind of got to go with Chatterer too. And Chatterer is the only really cool part of Hellraiser, the remake, the 2022 one. Yeah. I kind of go with, with Chatterer too as my second favorite Cenobite. Sounds good. He gets to do some stuff. Uh, and if I wasn't going to choose him, then I would say the evil doctor from Hellraiser 2. Ooh, okay. Let's see, if I can't pick Chatterer, I'll go, you know what? I'll go with Butterball. He was, he, he's always kind of interesting, I thought. He is actually pretty interesting. So that's the end of our show for this week. And remember, a giraffe does not know what a fart smells like. <laughs>